Hey everyone, and Daigwa here. So as for this week and possibly next week's episode, depending on how he's feeling, John will not be on the show due to him contracting COVID. Um, he didn't think he was able to record, which of course I understand, and I wish him a speedy recovery. In the meantime, I thought who better to fill in for John than previous guest from our top 10 of 2020 episode, the host of the film podcast, We Are Movies, Johnny Mockney. Big thanks to Johnny for filling in last minute, and you can listen to his show, We Are Movies, wherever podcasts are found. Link in the description below. With that out of the way, hit it! Welcome everyone to You Can't Handle the Genre. I'm Indigo McLeod. And I'm Johnny Mockney, and every month we and nobody else pick a film genre to break down, and every week we and absolutely nobody else uh, pick a movie to explore under that genre umbrella. (laughs) And this is the second week of our comedy month, and today we are talking about the 1980 classic comedy The Blues Brothers, directed by John Landis, written by John Landis and Dan Aykroyd. Starring, of course, John Belushi and Dan Aykroyd and tons and tons of other performers, <laughs> real band mates and just cameos galore. There's too many to go right now, but eventually we will talk about probably all of them. Um, but yeah, as I said in the intro, Johnny Mockney, previous guest, top 10 show. Listen to that one too. It's three hours, but you can break it up. Uh, maybe you're still listening it from January. Or, um, <laughs> if, you listen yeah. to, if you listen to Dave Chappelle on Joe Rogan, you have no excuse not to listen to our episode. It's the exactly. same way. Yeah, and the same quality. <laughs> exactly. Maybe better. <laughs> Joe Rogan bows to me. I am Thanos. <laughs> But yeah, uh, this uh, thanks for coming in last minute. Uh, this was this was a uh, it was awesome. This <laughs> was not planned, yeah. but it's cool. Um, but yeah, um, Johnny, <laughs> when did you first uh, come to Blues Brothers? Um, I first came to Blues Brothers when I was about. 12 years old, I think. I would have been 11 or 12. I was living in Mississippi and I was just going through that phase. I was really into that, that specific class of comedy guys. So I think it's like the SNL from the late seventies guys. So, uh, you know, Bill Murray, Dan Aykroyd, uh, John Belushi, uh, and the various SCTV guys that crossed over with them, like John Candy and Rick Moranis. I watched like all of their movies. And so, Naturally, the Blues Brothers was an important one in that journey. This is actually I'm I'm happy that uh, if any episode I'm happy you're on this one because especially like with like your knowledge of comedy and that scene you have more than I do so I'm I'm I have a lot of questions for you then. Oh, um, great. I uh, I actually only came to this movie last year. It was a part of my uh, hundred films hundred days thing I was doing and. I think I heard about this being pretty good throughout my life. And then obviously blues brothers, 2000, not being the same quality. So yeah, I didn't actually know anything about this. I just knew the outfits and I knew it was, uh, John and I knew it was Dan, but I didn't know anything else. So of course I was very surprised when I turned out to be like a, 
musical comedy road trip movie. I was not expecting that. And then all the cameos uh, and the musical performances, especially from, you know, fucking Ray Charles and mm. Aretha Franklin and James Brown. I, I was so confused, but I was enjoying every <laughs> second of it. It's, it's, it's unlike any movie I've seen before. It's so wild. And I do think, I mean, it being like 1980 when it came out, I really do feel like it's one of those like we couldn't do that again, even though they tried with Blue Brothers, Brothers 2000. <laughs> yeah, it really was a, a lightning in the bottle, and uh, and sort of an uncanny film. Like it, it's it, it's tonally a little indistinguishable. Like there really is no other comedy quite like the Blues Brothers. I think. Yeah, I mean, because there's uh, there's comedies that combine different genres, and you know, there's but it's not like an actual musical, but it, it they do have tons of musical performances, and then just the fact that these characters are keeping this strange straight, um, like they're both the straight man, yeah. uh, <laughs> in this film, and they're always in these outfits, and like things don't phase them, especially Carrie Fisher trying to destroy them, which I did not know was a thing, right? And I was like, what is happening? The reality of the universe gets uh, uh pressed a little bit. I, I mean, besides the fact that this is a musical universe where people will break in a song occasionally, uh, the, the way that Carrie Fisher's tactics uh increase uh the way that you know huge uh um like huge pyrotechnics are employed in the production of this film where uh, entire buildings come crumbling down and everyone survives seemingly uh (laughs) it's it's sort of like got like a bugs bunny kind of logic i think to the universe Oh, that's a, that's a good point. Yeah, it it definitely does. I mean, from buildings getting demolished with people in them and walking away with just you know brushing themselves off, not questioning <laughs> how or why this happened, from right. literally getting propelled into the sky in a phone booth and crashing down, and then you're like, yeah. oh hey, more quarters, <laughs> right? And it slowly, I mean, it slowly advances to where like. The movie's in on the joke at the end where you have like a 50 car pile up and then we cut back to this pile up and all the guys just crawling out and saying, like, oh, they broke my watch. And, you know, like it's definitely (laughs) self-aware about it. Yeah. And that's the thing that kind of took me aback too, just the car chases and the Mm. action. I just was not. If anything, that was the maybe the craziest part. Like this, this is actually happening because you know, you know, before CGI kids, yeah. we had practical effects, and that's one of them. There was car chases and car pileups, and people went flying and digging ditches. And John Wayne's son was a stuntman. True fact in this movie, yeah. not just the bit I'm doing. Who who knew that it would be the Blues Brothers that has the greatest. Chicago car chase since the French connection, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Honestly, I just, I I was just astounded just at how many, I think that's the thing too with uh, older films. I mean, the only thing from maybe the last, I don't know, like 25 years I can think of where so many people in just one location and it's not just, you know, CGI people in the back or just, I don't know, uh, like cutouts yeah. <laughs> um, is maybe like when I think of like Dunkirk mm-hmm. with all those people looking up when they see a plane. Because in this movie, I mean, you have 
tons of crowds and especially when you get to the climactic um uh performance um at the end of the movie and there's those are all real people. <laughs> There's yeah. so many people in this place. And I can't believe they, they, they just don't do that anymore with that many people around usually. Yeah, certainly. And I, and I definitely don't think they would, even if you were to make a movie of this spectacle today, it would not be this. It would not be the Blues Brothers. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> it wouldn't be, it, there aren't a lot of properties, let alone comedy properties like this, movies that are, uh, the entire premise is a throwback to music that isn't even th- our most popular form of music anymore. And, um, uh, you know, to adapt characters from SNL sketches. And I don't even think we have any comedic stars today that are currently as big as John Belushi and Dan Aykroyd were in the late 70s and the early 80s. Uh, so I don't think you would get this much trust from a production company from any major studio to say yeah yeah we're we'll pile up all the cars it'll be worth it in the end <laughs> you know yeah would you um i'm curious if you would say maybe uh three years ago or four years ago would like maybe kevin hart because i would say maybe he had like a meteoric i mean still different of course but yeah he i feel like maybe had the most meteoric rise to fame in the last few decades possibly i mean i think you're comedy. right i think yeah kevin hart is a huge star and definitely a a few couple years ago was probably at the peak of his stardom. But I I just don't, I don't see a move. I don't see a company putting this much in a production behind a Kevin Hart vehicle uh, that they did with this. Um, Maybe if it was Kevin Hart in something like, I mean, what's the bit, what's the equivalent is like the fast and the furious or something, but you know, that's a movie with, 30 famous people <laughs> like there, there's a, a proportion of how many names you have in your project to how much time and money you're going to put into it. And I don't think there is that one or two stars that we would hinge that much on these days. You know what I mean? No. Yeah, I know. What you, yeah, I know what you mean. And it's funny you mentioned that franchise because he's in Hobbs and Shaw. He is in Hobbs because, and Shaw. And I was like, what's happening? Why is this happening? For longer than I would have thought. Yeah, he's like a reoccurring character. <laughs> yeah. I was like, oh, I thought it was just like a quick cameo for like 30 seconds. Oh, this is like this scene alone is about four minutes of him. And then he comes back and I'm like, oh, and Ryan Reynolds. That's, Hi, I guess. Yeah, that's where it was clear that The Rock as a producer is uh, really just bringing his friends in and kind of taking control <laughs> is he the new adam sandler <laughs> oh yeah oh, yeah yeah I, i'd say um i wouldn't say he's quite yet the new adam sandler because i think um kevin hart and ryan reynolds are not at the points in their careers that uh, rob schneider and kevin james are at <laughs> to where they would need the helping hand <laughs> of their more famous friend oh, but never say wow. never maybe one day that's true, you know. Yeah. <laughs> hey, the industry, who knows what's going to look like next year. <laughs> um and um earlier you uh you were uh, talking about like the um like the early SNL um SCTV days. Uh so are you like have you been like a big fan of SNL like throughout it's like well I'm obviously we're you know, we're young so it's not like when you were you watching it back in like 1982 <laughs> remember that moment yeah um but like where have are you like a more a fan of the beginning SNL like with the like original cast members uh did you like other periods or well so I'm gonna say this um 
everybody has a period of SNL that they like, unless you've just always hated SNL, which I would understand. Um, I think, and, and I, I always stand by the statement. I, I bring this up very often because it's very common to say SNL hasn't been good since whenever the cast that I prefer was on. Right. And I think the thing is SNL has always had a very poor success rate when it comes to their, like the ratio of how many good sketches are in an episode or something. I think generally speaking, SNL has had about one good or great sketch per episode. Uh, and most of them are, uh, most of them fall flat. And I think that's how it's been since the beginning. If you watch the first season of SNL, a lot of those sketches fall flat and they're not great. And it's it more like it comes with the novelty of, you know, rehearsing and writing an entire show in a week and performing it live. And I think the thing is we just remember the good ones. Like the classic sketches are the ones that have carried on to now. And so obviously if you watch it live now, you're like, yeah, most of those aren't good. But five years from now, you know, you'll get like a David S. Pumpkin sketch or something that – People are quoting and they'll bring back up and, and obviously it depends on who the host is sometimes and all that. So uh, as for my favorite era, I think the one I've been most interested in is like the earliest class. So, uh, I'd say season one from when like Chevy Chase was on through to the, you know, the Bill Murray years. That's definitely been like the one I was most interested in. But, you know, I love, I definitely have affinity for like the, uh, the Chris Farley years to uh the, the you know there's winners all over the place <laughs> yeah yeah i i agree with um yeah all the points you had about like it's always like a certain time and you know when you have to write uh like sketches like within a week you know <laughs> depending on who the cast members and the hosts as well like it can't all be hitters i mean it's look it's 1975 and now it's 2021 like you're going to get some bad ones. I mean, sure. things you take risk. I mean, that's comedy is literally you fail all the time. But I mean, sometimes it's funny. Sometimes yeah. your skit goes wrong, but like, that's why it's so funny. Well, and, and, yeah. and you could, I, I would really, I really hate when people use SNL as the example of why sketch comedy is bad because it's like, well, that's sketch comedy when, as you said, you've written it and rehearsed it in a week. Uh, sometimes with a host who's not cooperative or, or whatever, they have their own stipulations where it's like, if you watch a show like Key and Peel or Chappelle show or recently, uh, um, I think you should leave with Tim Robinson. When people get the time to put into a sketch, it can be some of the greatest comedy ever <laughs> put to screen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's different between like, you know, it's like, Oh, we're doing, we're putting something together in like 20 minutes. You and I right now, right. like it could be a little funny, but <laughs> I mean, it could probably be way funnier if we thought about it for like days, weeks longer, you know? Yeah. And the blues brothers was a, so this is an SNL movie. Technically there are a, a few movies that have been based on actual characters from SNL and uh, Jake and Elwood blues were characters created by, uh, by John Belushi and Dan Aykroyd when they were cast members on SNL and they would perform them as they would be the musical guests sometimes. And it was really just this one shtick. It was like, Oh, it's funny. It's two white guys in glasses and they're in sunglasses and they're, they have a serious affect, but they're performing blues or, uh, or, you know, tangential genres to blues. And, that's a funny idea. And that was pretty much the extent of the sketches. So really there's a lot to build off of 
when you have this movie. And this movie has, you know, there's plenty of things about it that are its own thing. Like, really, that's all that it carries over. And then it's really one of maybe two or three SNL-based movies that have not been a complete and utter disaster, <laughs> too. Yeah, I, it's funny. I wanted to talk about that because, yeah, there's quite a few um, SNL movies. And, mm. yeah, like you said, like a lot of them are not great. Because, you know, sometimes just like if it's um, different but in a similar um, circumstance, like when you have a side character, mm. uh, say, I don't know, shooting in the dark, I don't know, like a car's tube, but he made <laughs> her as the lead. Or, uh, I don't know, like a, like a Minions movie. You know, everything doesn't need to be a feature-length film. Some right. things are funny in moderation. That's what makes them good. And I think sometimes <laughs> people don't think that, uh, they don't always make that connection. Like, like I, I don't remember what I actually felt about it, but like the Coneheads, right. that was a movie. That yeah. was a feature film. They made a but film. And there was a, there was a skit, and they're like, let's make this a movie. And does it work? Gosh. And the funny thing about it, a lot of SNL sketches is most of the time it's like a one concept thing. Like yeah. you have a character like it's Pat. And the entire joke of It's Pat is you don't know if Pat is a man or a woman. That's the entire joke. Uh, Pat is a, a sexually ambiguous character. And uh, they made an entire movie called It's Pat. And you like you can barely stretch that premise to a five-minute sketch. And they did it in like a 90-minute movie, which is absurd. <laughs> like, you can't. Yeah. The, reason, the reason I think the Blues Brothers is so great is really they were starting from scratch. They were making an original movie just with the – with the idea that we're going to have John Belushi and Dan Aykroyd play these characters that we really at this point don't know much about, you know, there is no like, yes, the, the it is funny that they're two white guys in suits and sunglasses that perform blues, but the move that's, that's a very small aspect of this huge movie. Yeah. Yeah. And like, is there, do you have uh besides blues brothers, um, which no, you you love um is there are there any others that you're fans of they can think of like wayne's world wayne's world um, is a, kind of a classic yeah um you know i've i've got some some uh, uh nostalgic memories of night at the roxbury but i'm pretty sure it's not <laughs> good anymore i, I do i did yeah. enjoy mcgruber i think mcgruber is kind of an underrated one uh, That's why I, I saw that once i i think near when it came out and i remember not I, I think I may have seen the skit on the show, maybe. Hmm. But I remember I wasn't a fan, maybe because I didn't get it, and also the excuse me, the, the MacGyver um, like parody. I didn't maybe see that show, so I think I just didn't understand it. Sure. And but then yeah, I hear it a lot. Like a lot of people tell me, and I just read like MacGruber is the most underrated comedy um of the last decade and maybe 20 years like it is like so funny and i'm like i don't know what happened it just didn't like it didn't uh blow up i think it's in that class of like the hot rods and those those types of movies that were like they, they hit us they hit a certain generation at a certain time and they were never really picked up or lauded by critics or anything but it's it's in the back of our heads because we, yeah. we all saw them at the right time and and it tapped into a very specific sense of humor i think and i think will forte specifically his sense of humor is is interesting and it's not you know it's definitely not the sense of humor that john belushi and dan Aykroyd had yeah. <laughs> you know <laughs> um are you a big uh fan of those two? Oh yeah definitely um 
and especially at this point in time, I mean, Dan Aykroyd's one of those characters that I, he thrived with John Landis and with, um, I, Harold Ramis when he wrote, cause he wrote a lot of the scripts that he was in. And then when you get a movie, eventually he did, uh, get to direct his own script with nothing but trouble. Um, which is a, a horrific monstrosity of a movie. I kind of love it. It's kind of amazing, but uh, this sort of off the ra- he's a he's a madman. He's an absolute madman, and and it took the control of somebody with the maybe the the um the discipline of a Harold Ramis or a John Landis to kind of streamline it and make it into something consumable for people. But in that respect, I think yeah, Dan Aykroyd was an incredibly creative person, uh, and also such a um, a gracious performer. I think if you watch movies like this, he has no problem being the straight man or taking the back seat to let his co-stars do something great too. And that's where you have John Belushi, who is just like an absolute force, you know, like he's got animal house, you know, I watched uh, a thousand times growing up um, 1941, <laughs> you know, he's, he, 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 yeah, he's just like, He's he's that class of a guy, like almost like a Chris Farley, who's both of them gone to way too soon, but also just like had this insane amount of energy that you could just not replicate. Jim Belushi could not replicate, yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know how it must feel to be just, you know, the brother or the sister <laughs> of someone who's just like such a like a star, just like they're they're a once in a lifetime um like entity and then you know they they pass and then it's like oh are you gonna can you step up to what they i mean the the pressure i mean whether or not you have like the talent to get there but like the pressure besides the fact that you just lost someone um must be like immense i mean um because i was gonna say like i i don't have an extensive i mean i've seen some of the early snl gets um sketches but uh but i have like followed like you know bill murray big fan of his uh just talked about him last week at Roundhog day mm. um oh yeah and also even though we've oh, we already ended this show um you know this <laughs> i guess i could have put this in the intro i'm gonna you know it's fine whatever uh the tease from last week uh was for super bad if you're listening right <laughs> now still um we are doing that I'm not sure if it's gonna be the next episode or not so there might not be actually a tease for the next week's episode but it could be next week it could be something else so be on your heels um jonah hill and michael sarah the uh the 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 john belushi and dan Aykroyd of today you know (laughs) another duo yeah (laughs) um and yeah it's it's strange but um i had only also seen animal house last year too so my uh like john belushi knowledge was only from like a few sketches I maybe had seen here or there, and then just everyone else, um, just like vicarious, vicariously through them, just like, oh yeah, this this he was like the Chris Farley of like the late seventies or mid to late seventies, early eighties, and it's crazy because they also I I saw um, looking up stuff for this uh, movie that they both died, I believe, at thirty three. Um, yeah, and I love like. Um, a drug, drug overdose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. John Belushi was um 
I, I it was like a combination of I, I want to say like heroin and something else, uh, but uh, cocaine. Yeah, it was yeah, both. Yeah, yeah heroin and, co- and and it was uh, on that night he was vi- he he saw Robert De Niro earlier that night. He saw a couple famous people, um, but yeah, uh, yeah. Unfortunately, gone too soon. But I. Uh, if you ever see, I don't know if you've had a chance to see his Joe Cocker impression on SNL. Uh, it, it is the most absurd, like, like talking about like throwing all of your instincts into like just headfirst into this over the top impression. He's like pouring alcohol all over himself and he's, you know, just, he just looks like a ravenous animal. And so by comparison, um, his performance in the Blues Brothers quite quite held back. Uh, he only has a couple moments of you know where he kind of lets loose, but for the most part, he's he. I feel like a lot of the humor in this movie is very dry, which is different yeah. for him. Yeah, I thought that was so interesting watching the movie too because I expected like some wild, wild Dan Aykroyd and some wild John Belushi, but they're mostly like contained. It's yeah, the comedy yeah is all kept. Um, like close to the vest, and it's it's not those like wild, insane characters, um, which you know proves just how talented he really was. He wasn't just you know good at like being that like loud, boisterous character, right. um, which is still great too. Um, I I think the the scene that <laughs> makes me maybe laugh the most is uh is later in the movie when they're escaping uh, the um, hotel uh, after the, their last performance. And then they meet Carrie Fisher, mm. and then she, she's going to shoot him. And then he just walks up, and he looks really cool when he walks there. It's like, okay, oh, wow, he's going to say something really cool. Oh, please don't kill us. Please, please don't kill us. You know I love you, baby. I wouldn't leave you. It wasn't my fault. You miserable slug. You think you can talk your way out of this? You betrayed me. No, I didn't. Honest. I ran out of gas. I had a flat tire. I didn't have enough money for cab fare. My tux didn't come back from the cleaners. An old friend came in from out of town. Someone stole my car. There was an earthquake. A terrible flood. Locust. It wasn't my fault, I swear to God. Yeah, he has a thousand excuses. Uh, and, yeah. then, and then also, I mean, that's a huge moment for his character because it's the first time we really see him have that kind of a, a John Belushi outbreak, you know. The, and then also the only time in the film where you see his eyes because he takes off his sunglasses. Yeah. I was going to say, I, I realized the uh, after I saw it the first time and then this time, I was like, wait, they – they all they always have their glasses yeah. on, like all the time. That's, that's why. Pretty, that's pretty funny. And if you get the DVD or Blu-ray of this movie, it has an extended cut, which I watched as a, I had the DVD. It was a double-sided DVD that I had when I was young. I have I've upgraded to the Blu-ray, which is hey. a, a double feature with Blues Brothers 2000. Uh, <laughs> but um, the extended cut has a bizarre scene early on where you see Elwood's eyes, uh, Dan Aykroyd's mm. character. You see him um, like quitting his job at a bottle factory and it's just so weird it's like what what were they thinking you can't you can't just show his eyes this is sacred yeah. uh, <laughs> so I, I feel like yeah if you ever if you're watching this movie for the first time watch the theatrical cut <laughs> i'll always maintain did you have you seen uh then blues brothers 2000 i most certainly have <laughs> Uh, what so what uh I know somewhat about it cuz it came out I believe in 98 yeah I think yeah um so what 
What is it? Is it just like the same movie again? Because I know it was a critical and a commercial failure. Yeah, essentially it is the same movie again. It, it, it's it's a very strange experience because, um, so obviously John Belushi isn't in it, um, and Dan Aykroyd's in it. He still co-wrote it with John Landis. John Landis directed it. It's towards like the end of John Landis's career directing movies. Um, uh, for those who don't know, in the late '80s, he uh, he um, had an unfortunate incident on the set of uh, the Twilight Zone, the movie, um, in which his uh, sort of his his carelessness on his set resulted in the death of a few people, and um, went to trial on that. He ended up doing like a couple more big movies. I think he Eddie Murphy let him direct. Uh, he got him to direct um, Coming to America. Uh, as sort of like a re- like a c- to try to help him out supposedly, and that was a big hit. But then, yeah, in the '90s, it kind of fizzled out. And so, at that point, it feels like John Landis is kind of uh, he's out of energy. The movie's v- really lacks energy. It lacks the kind of the forward momentum of the first movie. It obviously doesn't have the budget of the first movie in terms of the pyrotechnics. The the one upgrade, I mean, you do have a good cast like. John Goodman's in it, Joe Morton's in it. Um, and the amount of cameos by musicians is multiplied by like 10. <laughs> like, like, yeah, you have, uh, uh, Aretha Franklin and James Brown return. And then there's just, there's like BB King, Blues Traveler, uh, uh, Isaac Hayes, um, just an absurd amount of people, uh, Wilson Pickett. Um, and there's a lot of great, uh scenes in it like fun stuff if you're a fan of you know of those performers and obviously the whole blues brothers band returns in it but it's just yeah it's just kind of a sad it feels like you're watching you know like the old guy trying to fit into his young person clothes you know like it's like a little it just doesn't feel right and it it also feels like the humor since as i mentioned the first movie has kind of an uncanny sense of humor it's a little hard to place when you watch Blues Brothers 2000, it feels like they never figured it out um, <laughs> quite what they did. Uh, but so I, I would only recommend it if you're obviously like a super huge fan of the first and maybe and you're just interested because I, I think there is fun to be had, but it's not it's not a good movie. Um, it does uh, see the return of Frank Oz as his character from the first film, <laughs> uh, who's now been promoted to the warden of the prison. Oh, okay. uh, That's but, cool. But yeah, yeah. I, do, I did want to talk, if you know, I, I know you don't really kind of go step by step through this movie, but I wanted to mention that the opening section of this movie is uh, perfect. Um, the, the introduction to this uh, prison, the Joliet prison, uh, is like it's grimy, you know. It looks it's dirty Detroit. Like the the air looks gross, <laughs> uh, <laughs> but it looks but it's got character to it, you know. It's it's like a rich image and um, the the kind of the reveal. Like you don't see Jake Blue's face for the first part of the movie, and you see him going through the process of Frank Oz returning his stuff. And he's like one hat black, and he's like black shoes, and he's giving him everything, and then. When he walks out to see Elwood and then just straight faced, they stare at each other and then they hug. And then we cue, uh, she caught the Katie. She caught the Katie, left me a new to ride. 
uh, sung by John Belushi over the opening credits, and it's like one of my favorite openings to any movie ever. Yeah, it's. I, I was gonna mention that uh, opening too. Yeah, it's amazing. I love. <laughs> I also love with Frank Oz being the um, the person giving him his uh, items back. Yeah. <laughs> He's like uh, one prophylactic, one. Once used, once soiled, yeah, yeah. <laughs> once soiled. He, he has like use his <laughs> use his pen to pick it up. Yeah, <laughs> um, but yeah, when when he when the gates open, it is like Jesus has returned to Earth. Uh, it is it's amazing. It's an amazing uh, wide shot of just yeah, this is them looking at each other before they embrace, and when they embrace too, they're also like illuminated from the um, side uh, when they have like a profile shot. It's it is pretty amazing, and I love how you don't hear them talk for like eight minutes. I kind of like that one. It's like ooh, this. What do they? What do they sound like? What are they going to say? And yeah. Like, where's Where's the Where's the Bluesmobile? <laughs> yeah, and there's a you know it establishes a little tension because uh, uh, Elwood picked up this old police car as the new Bluesmobile. He demonstrates how good it is that they, they set up in the beginning just how badass this car is going to end up being uh, in the rest of the movie. Um, and then they also kind of set up their difference in discipline. Like they are very much on the same wavelength and they communicate saying very little. But there is this clear like Jake is more of the troublemaker. Uh, and he's also a little – he's got like a shorter temper. You see him being like fix a cigarette lighter. And he throws the cigarette lighter out the window uh, when it doesn't work. Um, and then, you know, Elwood's more like we got to go see the penguin. And uh, also I love that <laughs> Aykroyd uh, leans into his fake Chicago accent in this movie. <laughs> Same. I, I love this so much. I was like, wow, that is that is a thick one. Especially, I think I know it was like later on. I think when he was talking to um, the woman they meet at the gas station later in the movie. Twiggy, um, yeah. Yeah, and I was like, Oh wow! Wow, that that really is uh, that is a that is a that's a thick boy. Yeah, he's like I got a I got a hotel over there. You you would you want to meet? It's <laughs> you know midnight. Uh, so look, uh, if your date don't work out tonight for any reason, uh, there's a motel up on the interstate. Uh, maybe we could say uh, meet around uh, midnight. I wonder, because I know Ackroyd is from Chicago, uh, obviously, because obviously, I mean, this movie's a love letter to Chicago. Yeah. Uh, this is, yeah, like, f- f- fuck you, John Hughes. Yeah, <laughs> this I was is- surprised John Hughes <laughs> wasn't the one. Right. Yeah, was the, uh, and, yeah, it's so Chicago and everywhere. You, if you ever go on the Chicago film tour, half the locations are like, yep, there was part of the Blues Brothers here. Uh, <laughs> and it, he, he definitely... I wonder if if his accent, if it's like a Mel Gibson in Australia situation where he used to have a heavy accent and then he got rid of it through show business, or yeah. if it's just him evoking like the guys he grew up with, you know? <laughs> that's that's what I was wondering too, because yeah, I, I knew he was a Chicago native, and I I, I wonder the same thing because some people are able to just um, there's a film I don't know what I would I guess film journalist critic uh alicia malone Mm. she's also from australia but she but it's a light australian accent but she yeah she also is a person who said like yeah i i had a thicker accent when i came here but i thought it would just be 
better if it was a little bit lighter. So it's kind of <laughs> funny that people can just like have a light accent and they could just turn it down, but they could turn it back up if they need to. Yeah. Sometimes it yeah. depends on who you're talking to, you know, yeah. I'm sure maybe Dan Aykroyd when he was in New York on SNL, he, he, he kept it controlled. But then if he was talking to his Chicago buddies, it started coming out, you know? Like, yeah. It's <laughs> like, Hey, you want to see the Cubs? Yeah. Cubs. Yep. <laughs> oh, bears. Uh, and in the, I like to, with the penguin, oh my god! Mm. I didn't know that uh, when uh, John Belushi falls down the stairs, I didn't know that was actually him because I thought there's no <laughs> way he would fall down it the looks stairs. Painful. That's, he's still yeah. he's still stuck in the desk because that's a great moment. She makes them sit in their old like school children <laughs> desks, and John Belushi yeah. can't fit in. And so <laughs> when he falls down the stairs, it's just on him and it breaks. <laughs> yeah, and that's what I thought. Like I thought maybe like it was a cut when he like when it shatters at the end. It is a cut, but I thought that's when it's him again because there's like there's no way. But uh, I saw um, research like John Landis said that John Belushi sprained his back falling down the stairs in the desk. So yeah. it was him, and he was in a back brace and on painkillers for the rest of the film. So. That he did it. I I don't. I can't imagine someone besides Tom Cruise doing that like now. <laughs> oh, that's yeah. No, that's and that's pure John Belushi. And, and that's the thing. You know, the guys who put that much physicality into their comedic roles, those are never the guys who grow old too. You know, because yeah. they are they are the risking the everything with every. You know, they're putting everything they can into their art. <laughs> yeah, I love watching them getting slapped around. Just yeah, like, with shit. the ruler. It's like, sorry, yeah, I said, shit. like, yeah. ah, fucking Christ. Because ah, there is damn. a there is a wholesome story to this. It is um, Jake and Elwood are going on the uh, on the road to perform to raise money to uh, save their childhood Catholic school, um, and so that's it, so there's a noble task at hand, but it's really a catalyst to get these great set pieces where they're assembling their band for the, like the first half of the movie. And this is, if you want a testament to how, how ambitious of a writer Dan Aykroyd is, he essentially wrote two movies with the original script for this. Like if you watch the interviews behind the scenes, it's like John Landis was like, Dan, we can't, make this this is this is a television series like uh yeah. so they had to trim it down quite a bit but the movie is kind of these three acts very easily and that whole middle act is them assembling this band each band member they get there's another little sequence involved um and then they have to get their you know their equipment and then they go on the road and then uh end up catching the ire of Various people, including law enforcement, including a uh, country band called the Good Old Boys, uh, <laughs> and uh, and hijinks ensue. <laughs> it's it's a yeah. perfect it's a perfect escalation of things. You know, it's yeah. it's it's that Buster Keaton short when he's walking up the hill and a one rock rolls down and then multiple rocks start rolling down. <laughs> basically, yeah, only in 1980 could you have a, a musical comedy with like. Uh, some of the biggest stars from blues r&b yeah and also have yeah like nazis and <laughs> oh, illinois nazis yeah i, forget yeah, illinois nazis I hate illinois nazis what a yeah. great um who's Fucking nazis <laughs> out of the uh out of the various um real life musicians who show up in this movie who's your favorite gosh oh man um it's hard. Oh, God, it's so hard. Uh, I think just 
the segment, if I would say like the entire segment of it, I would probably say uh, James Brown just because that's the first like what's happening. And then the fact that he also <laughs> just none of them usually were are used to like lip syncing like what you would normally do when a, if it was a movie musical. So like he fully sang live. Um, oh, and you only, can tell. <laughs> yeah. Like I love the sweat on oh. him. It's, it's great. And just the dancers, just everyone's in church. And I'm like, man, this is like, uh, this is going to like a black church, but this is like that times like seven. This is insane. Um, <laughs> yeah. When I you think- see the people, the people doing like total flips in the air, it looks yeah. disembodied. It looks separated from the rest of the environment you see in this church. There's like a secret yeah. trampoline somewhere with a yeah. ladder. And they're just like, Wee! and when you get the, the light that hits Jake and he goes, It's fantastic. What a beautiful I, I don't scene. see it. I don't I don't see it. <laughs> what light? <laughs> I I think from uh like their actual performance, I, I think I would go Aretha Franklin. I, I could actually see her if she maybe did more things like movie wise. Like I, I honestly I would see her in, like in a, maybe a small role to start in a movie. I she has the charisma, I think, to like actually maybe act. I mean, I thought she obviously amazing voice, yeah. but I thought she was fine. I thought she was funny. No, she's fantastic. <laughs> she's so good before she gets into the, the think song, yeah. like everything with her, like she commands that role when she comes on, you, you buy her as the, the, the wife who totally controls her husband's life, at least at this point, he kind of, he takes control for himself. And, and, yeah. and he also has his own, uh, problematic lines like, uh, look, I'm the man, you're the woman. <laughs> I was like, wow, that, that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> Do but, you know who you're talking to right now? <laughs> uh, yeah, but no, no, she's, she's fantastic. I, I, I mean, yeah, they're all so good. I, I feel like, it's a little unfair because he's not really a cameo. He's a supporting role in the movie, but Cab Calloway is oh fuck so good in this wow. movie. How I wow I almost I almost forgot. Yeah, yeah. Cab Calloway. Oh my god, it's so cool because I just love. Yeah, he is just a character in yeah. the movie, and then it's like I love the cut when he performs. Like, yes, we gotta figure out something, and then it's like the mini the moocher scene. Yeah, yeah. I love that because, yeah, they're all – for some reason, the first couple times I watched this, I don't know if I'd ever, I ever processed it, but they're all dressed as, as the Blues Brothers. He and the band because they're stalling. It's the third act of the movie. They're waiting for Jake and Elwood to show up because there's, they're in this huge car chase, right? Uh, and they're, they're being held up basically. And so to stall, he, they decide to do Minnie the Moocher and when the – curtains open just suddenly cab calloway's in a different outfit the whole band is different like it it's obviously it's highlighting the you know the artifice of this universe and then once the whole and the performance is amazing and then once it ends we cut to another angle of cab calloway and he's back in the the suit and the sunglasses kind of like Hinting that oh, in his mind, this is how it all looked. But yeah. they've been in the suit, the suits this whole time. You know, <laughs> that's that's an amazing moment. Uh, I love, yeah, I love that so much. And um, 
I was going to say from earlier uh, with the uh, Aretha Franklin scene, I love <laughs> the, the order that they have for their food. I'll have some toasted white bread, please. You want butter or jam on that toast, honey? No, ma'am. Dry. Got any fried chicken? Best damn chicken in the state. Bring me four fried chickens and a Coke. You want chicken wings or chicken legs? Four fried chickens and a Coke. And some dry white toast, please. Uh, the the, like, the way what? that she goes, do you want chicken wings or chicken legs? And he just repeats four fried chickens and a Coke. <laughs> yeah. And then goes back and then is like, I got, I got two white men saying like, one wants some dry white toast. I was like, Elwood. <laughs> yeah. And four whole fried chickens and a Coke. He's like, Jake. Jake. It's the Blues Brothers. <laughs> the Blues Brothers. <laughs> yeah. It's like their code. I love the, yeah, the, the, yeah. the, the universe hinted at outside of this movie. Like the fact that there's so much history between them and this band that we only catch a little bit of. And by the way, all the band members obviously playing themselves. Yeah. Um, uh, there's, um, uh, Steve the Colonel Cropper, Donald Duck Dunn. Uh, Murphy Dunn, Willie Too Big Hall, Tom Bones Malone, Blue, Mo- Blue Lou Marini, uh, Matt Guitar Murphy, and uh, Alan Mr. Fabulous Ruben. Uh, which, you know, obviously they're, they're just band members and they, they're playing themselves in the movie and they're great. Yeah. <laughs> I like, yeah, I like that they actually get things to do. It's not just like, um, oh, I mean, not all of them. Have, there, there's well, definitely some extensive. that are more in the forefront than others <laughs> yeah yeah and i was like i like that because then they're actually doing like they're actually part of the band it's not just like oh we've got separate people playing the music and then we're just pretending the, the, the no they're actually doing it right yeah well and and apparently because obviously when you watch the final movie and they're assembling the band a couple of them like matt murphy and um uh, Matt Guitar Murphy and uh, I, I think it's the – I forget who the other guy – I think it might be – it's the guy with the long hair. I forget which one he is. I was thinking is. the same thing. I can't remember which they're, one he is. Because they're both with Aretha Franklin at that diner. And then the majority of the other guys are all – oh, and then there's one guy who works. He's a maitre d' at a nice diner where uh, oh, Paul Rubens also works. Yeah. Oddly <laughs> enough, there's a cameo from Paul Rubens. Uh, but – um, the majority of them are already still in a band together. So, so a lot of them are consolidated. And uh, supposedly in Dan Aykroyd's original script, there was a scene for each band member. <laughs> that explains the very long film right. that he had planned. In his head. <laughs> but it works. So yeah, it totally works the way that it the way that it goes. I think. Yeah, I I do like the in the Matrix D scene. I yeah, <laughs> they they when they're just <laughs> when they're purposefully disturbing people in this fine restaurant. To how much for the girl yeah. and how much how much for, for your wife, wife. yeah <laughs> that's a great moment of just, just seeing john belushi kind of going off the rails and yeah and, like, sir sir waiter <laughs> <laughs> yeah and and Aykroyd's, yeah they're both they're both great in that. that i think that might be honestly my favorite scene in the movie outside yeah. of any of the musical performances that's my right, favorite right. scene uh i have an answer to this but do you have a favorite musical performance in the movie um. Yeah, I I think it would be the uh, James Brown one. I think just as, as just like maybe because yeah, like I like the it's like the introductory one and um just how absurd and then I just like the moment the. 
band. Yeah. What? <laughs> the band? The the band? The band. Yeah. Like, yeah. What's the band? <laughs> I just love, yeah, just everything about it. It's, it's, I think that might be, yeah, my favorite. Yeah. That's, that's a great one. I, I, I do have, I got to give a lot of credit to, uh, the whole Ray Charles scene. Cause uh, I mean, the shake your tail feather, uh, it, it's, oh, that it, is great. in terms of the editing and stuff is such a complex sequence. Cause you have all the people dancing outside. Uh, there's one guy I'll never forget. You might know exactly what I'm talking about. There's one guy who looks a little kind of out of it. Uh, <laughs> I'll send you a picture of it later, but there's one guy oh. in the dance. There's like a close up of his face and you're like, that guy's on something. Uh, <laughs> but that's a great, sequence and i love ray charles character that he's like you know he's selling them the equipment and he's kind of a he's kind of scamming them like he's he's charging an awful lot of money and he's just like you know the depreciation man uh (laughs) you know great and then when he pulls the gun on the kid who's trying to steal so funny because you're like is he is he blind is he playing a character who can see and then yeah especially you figure out when he pulls out the gun it's like yeah if not it's like is he daredevil because that was pretty close and that's what i love it's it's really easy in a movie like this to kind of have your token cameos and to like have these character guys just kind of show up and play themselves but they're all playing characters you know they're all yeah. like ray charles in that scene is he's playing he's definitely playing a character and it's a funny scene it's like well written and and he's kind of his own fleshed out character uh himself and and i think that's that's really cool the only uh, the only cameo that I think doesn't really have any character is uh, uh, John Lee Hooker when he's performing uh, Boom Boom <laughs> outside, yeah. which yeah. almost seems like an afterthought. But <laughs> it is strange. It's like, oh, it's because I think that he's was here that was actually his audio. They just like, yeah, we, we just. I mean, I mean, probably planned, but like he to be in the movie, but yeah. they just record his audio right there. Yeah, <laughs> it just yeah, it just felt like, oh yeah, hey, you want, want to be in the movie? Because we're we're shooting the movie. Why not? We're doing a movie. Yeah. Sure, right. Everybody's uh, we can write you a character. Nah, it's fine. I'll just be myself. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I I also like I think just. Another like going with just the insanity of just the eighties and everything. Um, there's so much more, but the I, car chase through the mall. Oh yeah, I was like, <laughs> I can't the, believe this is happening the, right now. There's people everywhere. Yeah, I, I mean, I feel like if I was a PA, this would be like my nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> the, the lead up to that scene, I think there's great tension because it's like they get pulled over and. Uh, Hold on, hold on, I'm coming is playing on the radio mm-hmm. by Sam and Dave. And, uh, there, and as the, in that song, you know, has this like, did it, did it, it has this buildup and you're kind of like, and that's building up to the moment that Elwood's just going to start driving and like take off from these cops. And that's when, <laughs> that's basically when all of their problems begin. <laughs> yeah. And so, and then that leads just straight into the mall chase where, you know, just total destruction and, uh, you have them, uh, you have like these great lines of them just kind of going like, like, oh, wow, this place is everything. Like they're kind of looking around the mall while they're driving through it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and yeah, no, like I, yeah, I love that sequence. And um, I also would be remiss if I didn't mention, uh, I mean, oh, God, I, there's so many things. I totally forgot there are Nazis in this movie until you said it. I was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> Gosh, the Nazis, Henry Gibson, yeah, is the lead Nazi is so good. Uh, but I love it. 
uh, b- based and they chart they chase them based on the minor infraction of them just running them off the bridge. Uh, but I, I like when he says he's just like his name's Elwood Blues and he's a Catholic <laughs> and that's <laughs> that's their motivation. <laughs> like we'll take them down. Yeah, and I love how the like the big comes back that you know was like, do we have an address? And it's one it's <laughs> they, they Field. go the Wrigley yeah. Field. <laughs> they actually go there. Oh man, but John Candy in the film as well. Uh, yeah, the, the, John Candy. He's the, he's the uh, parole officer for Jake. Uh, has a great part when their when their car lands in the truck and he's just like, "Hi, this is car. What is it?" And he's like, five, five. car fifty five. five. Uh, <laughs> we're in a truck." Just <laughs> perfect candy delivery. Yeah, insane. Oh, I love John Candy. Uh, yes, yeah, John Hughes again. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And uh, when I I think it was the uh, when I was looking at the cars piling up uh, the second time when we're in downtown Chicago, which is just crazy <laughs> that they were able to film in downtown Chicago when they're going like a hundred miles per hour. But um, that's when I started wondering, is this the movie with the most wrecked cars? Cause they're wrecking so many cars and it was for a while. Cause they, they, at the time um, it was 103 um, cars that they wrecked during filming. But then uh, two years later, the movie, the junk man broke mm. it with 150 cars. And I kind of forgot because I haven't seen this movie in a while, but I believe it's still the world record. Um, But uh, in 2003, The Matrix Reloaded, that now has the record for over 300 cars wrecked during the filming of the highway scene. And I remembered like, oh, yeah, that actually makes a lot of sense because if I remember that correctly, because it's like I don't know how they built or they use like a abandoned um, freeway for that. and. They just, you know, had enough track and they would just reset, which sounds insane. <laughs> it's great just how much goes into a movie. Like, you write the script and somehow you, yeah. I mean, you're right, Johnny, because, like, approving alone the car chases. <laughs> like, so we're going to have a car chase um, in downtown Chicago. Okay, like like a couple minutes no, it's the no, third act of couple. the movie. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, you know, we're we're gonna have uh, military. We need tanks. Yeah, um, tons of cops. I'm thinking like 150 extras for the ending alone. Um, and we're gonna film it on location. <laughs> oh my and god! It, it begins with that line. It's like they take you into the third act with the uh, 106 miles to Chicago. We got a full tank of gas, half a pack of cigarettes. It's dark, and we're wearing sunglasses. And Jake goes, <laughs> "Hit it!" And then they take off and. It's it's a lo- it's a car chase. It's Mad Max Fury Road after that. It's yeah. just this endless car chase uh, to get to the Cook County Assessor's office, um, which is that's after their amazing uh, performance where they do uh, everybody needs somebody uh, and uh, Sweet Home Chicago, which is what they leave on, um, and uh, which is you know a cute kind of use of the song because it's playing as they're about to flee to Chicago. Um, <laughs> and uh, then, yeah. Oh, also I'd be remiss if I didn't mention uh, one of the biggest cameos in the movie when they get to the Cook County's assessor's office, uh, the Cook County assessor is played by Steven Spielberg. It's uh, like, what? Yeah. <laughs> What's going on here? I love also, yeah, when they get there and this says, uh, be back in five minutes. Yeah. Just after all of this, they wait <laughs> after they've like what? piled this absurd amount of stuff. That's a great, like this wide shot. It feels like, yeah, it's like a Wes Anderson shot, like this just static 
shot of the door as they're just pushing everything they can in front of the door, like the benches and garbage cans to try to stop them from getting in. Uh, And then speaking of like cartoonish stuff, you see the, the SWAT guys, uh, moving down the side of the wall and it starts with like one of them and he's going like hut, 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 and it cuts to like a wide shot and you hear all of them going like hut, 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 all over each other it's just it's so silly <laughs> yeah and I'm like the hell there's helicopters around and yeah. i i remember because uh like i think right after um the line that elwood has about like we got floating glass and glasses um uh, one of the uh someone on a uh, radio or microphone, they you hear the order that uh, the use of unnecessary force is permitted, <laughs> and then so it makes it's all this uh, makes sense. Right. I mean, there's horses, there's people on mounted horses, like the police. There's boats think, uh, in the river. I mean, it's isn't it something? All, isn't it something like he said? I think he says. I might be wrong about this, but I think the exact words are like use of unnecessary violence in pursuit of the blues brothers has been approved. Like the yeah. fact that they, they refer to it as unnecessary violence is, <laughs> is <laughs> very funny. Yeah, yeah. That's it's pretty, Oh my God. It's, it's so funny. And like, and once again, a shot that I thought was, you know, somehow faked or maybe there was a matte painting behind it but it happened the it's when the nazis are chasing them and then they get to the unfinished bridge and then of course this that was fake when you have the blues brothers uh car that's like going backwards when they kind of go back up and then they flip backwards but <laughs> when yeah. when you see the um nazi car that's like right behind them that goes off i mean obviously they, they don't go up that high but they did drop from a helicopter that <laughs> car into a uh unused lot in downtown chicago so they oh, wow. did drop a car from that height which is crazy and like uh john landis had to get like all kind of permits for this to happen <laughs> oh and i just for sure yeah i can't believe it and it's the one of the most impressive sequences of the movie when they're the Nazis are falling in the car and one of them looks at the other and just says, I've always loved you. And then they, <laughs> yeah. they, they make a hole in the ground. Presumably the only death in the entire film are the two main Nazis, uh, yeah. which is appropriate. You know, that's fine. <laughs> that's fine. <laughs> if we're going to kill anybody in the movie, <laughs> yeah. uh, from blues brothers to inglorious bastards, which yeah. is funny. Cause we also talked about, we did, that. we Bowling did on show. my, on my yeah. podcast, which I no longer have a podcast. I am now the new co-host of, uh, you can't handle the genre. I, I uh, <laughs> apologize to all fans of John Oregon out there. Um, you know, he was a great man. <laughs> yeah, he didn't have enough uh, letters in his John, so I had to replace him with an, uh, another N and a Y because, uh, you know. I, I should appease the fans. I don't think we ever quite did it at the beginning, but I'm, I'm not the permanent <laughs> co-host of this podcast. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm simply <laughs> filling in. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, uh, yeah, cause I, I have something written probably by the time you are to this point anyway. So yeah, it explains everything oh, that's sure. going on. Um, Sorry. and no, you're good. And, um, uh, 
depending on like what we do and everything for next week's episode, uh, Johnny might be returning as well. So uh, don't be surprised if uh, uh, John is not back <laughs> next episode. But um, he should be the episode after that. So um, my yeah. inclusion will guarantee that your listenership will go up by one because of my mom. So uh, that's that's an important get on your part. Thank um, God. I, another person. I wanted, I'll take anybody. I wanted to mention I did. So when I watched the Blues Brothers as a kid, I watched it, you know, a hundred times. Um, I even, there's a video out there on YouTube of me and my friend performing as the Blues Brothers. Uh, oh, we, man. we did a Soul Man performance uh, for some people, some poor people. And, um, but anyway, I watched the docu, the, like, the behind the scenes documentaries and stuff like that. And there's a story that at one point, uh, John Belushi went missing. And, um, they, have you heard this story? Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. They, they, wild. They had to track him down. And it was like some guy in the neighborhood was like, Oh yeah, you're looking like they came to his door. He's like, they're like, Oh yeah, we're looking for, he's like, Oh yeah, John Belushi. Yeah. Came in like ra- rated by like, like he, he, he rated my refrigerator. He had a glass of milk, made himself a sandwich and crashed in my couch. Uh, so, you know, he was a bit of a loose cannon. <laughs> yeah. I saw that there was a, like co a cocaine budget on the movie just because <laughs> there was so much cocaine used and so many people either dealt it or just oh. used it as well in this movie. I mean, and, <laughs> and the simple reason of why we, uh, won't get movies like this anymore is because I don't think uh, I don't think most studios budget for the cocaine that <laughs> that needs yeah. to be put yeah. into a project like this. Also, yeah, it's 1980, so yeah, I think uh, like Dan Aykroyd said that like obviously, which makes sense. Like John Belushi enjoyed it the most, mm-hmm. and it felt like that it enhanced his performance. But I know like uh, quite a few people since they had a lot of night shoots, they would just. It would just use it just because it helps to stay awake, which is kind of just like insane to think about. Like, like, oh, we're, I don't know, drinking a can of Coke or something. Like, no, <laughs> we're doing Coke. That That's what I meant. We're doing cocaine, actually. Not, we're not drinking Coca-Cola. That was a mistake. Do this bump. Just bump it right real quick. <laughs> <laughs> it just, and it's just a funny time. Just like people casually just like doing cocaine. Just like, but like so many people. Um, so I know like a couple people would, do and, and i was like this is so weird right don't you think that's kind of strange just like you know we just have coke at a party just i mean it was offered to me once and i was like no i'm not doing cocaine <laughs> have you seen a movie <laughs> which is my response to most things have you seen a movie no i'm not doing this that's what's um, in the actually in the briefcase throughout this movie uh the one that's yeah. that's handcuffed to, <laughs> to Dan, right? that's yeah it was just the thing of coke um, um i do want to ask uh and uh, I'm curious about your your input on this, but you know, obviously, there's that uh, every 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 few years we start reevaluating another old movie, uh, and uh, various various personalities on Twitter say it's time to forget that movie ever existed or or what have you. Uh, <laughs> that's that's an exaggeration. That's a straw man. But uh, basically, um, obviously, like the, the the accusation that's sometimes brought up against the Blues Brothers is like, oh, that's a movie. Uh, white writers, white director, a white white stars. Uh, but it's all it's all about the blues, <laughs> and. My personal feelings with this movie have always been that, like, that's clear, but as, like, a Chicago native, it's very clear that it's, like, Dan Aykroyd and them do not have the intention, I think, of of appropriating 
this. And obviously there's so much attention paid to these, the performers that have influenced them because they all have roles in the movie. Um, I don't know if you, did you have any feelings about that at all in this movie? Um, yes. So I see, I see that point. Um, I was kind of thinking that myself, the uh, kind of both times a little bit that I just kind of, it was funny that I thought like, Oh, hmm. it's funny that the, you know, two leads of this movie <laughs> are, are white men doing this and they have a love for it. And yet we see like, so like maybe like the best, um, in blues, R&B, soul, uh, also performing in the movie, but they're not the leads and it's not about them. But yeah, I think it always depends. I think here is a case I agree with you. I do think it's not problematic in that sense. I mean, I know like sometimes I think you can have, which Dan Aykroyd, you know, that was kind of what he wanted with this because he has like a lifelong love of soul and the blues and R&B and he kind of wanted to bring that music back to the forefront and I mean sometimes you need like a different face to do that and I think to me this ha- obviously has a uh, air of respect to it um I mean cuz I think when I watch this I mean I love the Blues Brothers and I do love their performance but like is Ray Charles and fucking <laughs> Aretha Franklin and James Brown like I love them and I don't think there's any illusion um, that they are, even by the movie standards, somehow like a lesser performer within the movie. Like, yeah, as in like, if, you know, not the characters they're playing, but like James Brown and them are lesser than the Blues Brothers. I think, and there was a bait, you know, like the La La Land thing, like, oh, is, is, <laughs> is this <laughs> Ryan Gosling saved jazz? <laughs> yeah. And as a black guy, I was like, I mean, this is kind of funny. it is kind of funny and but i don't i there i also didn't think it was like white guy like he obviously he knew and was like oh look they they create jazz not us i know and stuff and i i don't think it was just like lolly i don't think blues brothers was trying to indicate uh, that we are better or equal to, but we also love it. And I mean, I think sometimes <laughs> I'll, I'll speak. I'll speak for my race. Yeah, I'll speak <laughs> for my race, your honor. I, sometimes I, you know, I love black people. I'm black and everything. Um, but and it's not just like race. Like people sometimes do gatekeep, and even when they mean to not do that and they're trying to force positive change i I, sometimes people shut them out and i don't think that this is trying to appropriate the culture i think this is an ode to the culture and if anything is trying to put the culture um that obviously it loves back in the forefront and i i don't think the blues brothers does um anything wrong and you know i you know me my age seeing this four years later last year i didn't get that impression i got this like these people love what this movie is um an ode to and yeah i don't i don't have an issue with it myself yeah i i I realize now it was probably uh uh the incorrect decision to tell you my thoughts before i asked yours (laughs) but um i i yeah i i i i I get what you're saying and um 
you know, with it's like I'm not from Chicago. Um, I I've lived in, I lived in Chicago a little bit, but you know, it's like Chicago culture, mainstream Chicago culture, what we associate like in terms of uh, music uh, was pioneered by black people, right? Uh, and so it's like I'm sure Dan Aykroyd as being a guy who grew up in Chicago that you know that's the that's the type of music he was raised by and that's like what he you know that's like his that's such an important part of his being uh and i i would say it's like yeah it just seems like he did the best he could you know <laughs> it doesn't there, there's definitely no i mean there uh yeah but um uh it, interesting cuz i also part of me feels like i don't know if it would happen today but then again, actually, I take that back because La La Land just came out. <laughs> so <laughs> that was a couple of years ago. So on second thought, I think it could happen today. Uh, and, it, and it also could be, in my perspective, it could be that I, of course, know, and even if they're tr- if they are trying, if say like uh, this was trying to be like, but we're almost as good as them. Hmm. I. I could never think that maybe being myself. So if maybe if that was the intention, I don't even see that as the, that because yeah. I'm like, of course they're not as good as fucking these three singers. It's like, yeah, we're, we're doing uh like, this is like a cover band of yeah. something that's great. Like this is if I this like a if this was a tribute concert to them, we're playing because we love it. But sure, if they were black, maybe it would be clear and no problems, obviously, or whatever. Yeah, yeah. and and honestly, the unfortunate thing, the the interesting thing to think about is like how many white people appreciate the blues because they were introduced to it through people like you know people like the blues brothers and obviously there's something problematic in that that it's like oh somebody will only consume uh you know uh performers of their own race or whatever but i you know particularly at this time it's like this mainstreams this type of music in a way on the big screen in a multiplex uh in a way that like hadn't you know it's it's just like the, the unfortunate thing is that yeah, especially at this time, Hollywood was mostly run by white guys. And so that's, those were the names that were, those were the faces that were going to be on the poster of the movie that was going to get that much, that much funding, uh, and that much attention. I, I was thinking about that great scene when the, they're pretending to be the good old boys. And <laughs> it is a great scene. It's this great fish yeah. out of water moment where they walk in and it's like, oh, this is not our environment. Cause it's like a, a country rodeo thing. Uh, but then I also thought about how, you know, if they were, if the Blues Brothers were black, that joke would have hit so much more because it's an all white yeah. southern <laughs> country bar. You would have just felt that, like, oh, everybody's staring at like, us. Uh, it, like the the woman, I think uh, Bob's wife, who's working at the bar, like, because they're like, oh, what kind of music do you have or usually play? Oh, both genres, country and western. <laughs> <laughs> that's like yeah and i love when they they start Good performing line. uh give me some lovin and the guy who owns the place is like this ain't no hank williams song and, <laughs> yeah. yeah i love how even when they get what they want they're still throwing bottles right. at the chicken wire fence <laughs> they're just doing it in in joy instead of, yeah <laughs> instead of out of protest now yeah uh, and then stand uh, and by I, your man uh yeah the theme from rawhide <laughs> great great song it's funny too um what you said earlier when um like how like uh jake being different than elwood and um like when he throws the uh 
uh, lighter out of the car, um, or the car lighter, uh, the cigarette lighter. Um, like when he can't, cause obviously this is like his, this is his plan and it, he's doing this in the fly and it's not working and he's mad just like they all are, but it's like, we got to reform because we got to reform and they decide to let's do rawhide. And Jake is just standing there with his arms crossed. <laughs> and yeah. then eventually he's like, move him up. All the things I'm missing, good fiddles, love and kissing, waiting at the end of my life. Move them on. Hit him up. Hit him up. He does it uh, like he's he's obviously upset about it that he has to do the theme from Rawhide. But then when he yeah. but then when he finds the whip and then like whips the cigarette out of the woman's mouth, like that's that's, that's a fantastic great. moment. It's like they finally they're like, okay, we're gonna enjoy this. Uh, yeah. And yeah, that cl- that clash between I love I love the depiction of. Uh, um, the the clash between different Americas on film, and just the the fact that you can take Chicago versus what I think is presumably the Deep South, uh, somewhere or the West, maybe. Um, yeah. It, it, the, you know this culture clash. It's it's always fun to to you know <laughs> to show that on screen in the most over the top yeah. way possible. <laughs> uh, do you have a favorite? Um, I guess you could say group. Uh, that's pursuing uh the Blues Brothers, like from the Nazis or the good mm. old boys to the the cops to, from the beginning. <laughs> Carrie Fisher, that's a good. Qu- oh yeah, maybe Carrie Fisher. Uh, that's she's so great. I think she doesn't speak a word of dialogue until the ending of the movie. She's just silent. She looks like a noir femme fatale. She like pulls yeah. up in her car. She's smoking a cigarette and the way that she casually grabs a rocket launcher from her. It's insane. Like what the <laughs> fuck is going on? <laughs> Whoa. Yeah. I think that's fantastic. And then when she does show up and she's just, she's like, I remain celibate for you. She's it's legitimately, it's great. And it's, it's one of my, I mean, it's it's one of my favorite uh, Carrie Fisher performances, quite honestly. Uh, yeah. I know that there are others to choose from, <laughs> but uh, yeah, the, I, I think she's so uh, she's so cool, and um, and when she's on, yeah, w- w- she just she she also seems like a legitimate threat. She's kind of like the Terminator a little bit. Yeah, she just shows up and she causes the most destruction. And then she just leaves, and somehow she's like she always knows where they are. Yeah, uh, when she needs to be there. <laughs> I do, I do give a I guess second place to the Good Old Boys because I think they're they're a lot of fun. Charles Napier is the lead of the Good Old Boys, and he it, I, I just think when they're I think when they end up in the water at the end, and he looks at Bob, and he's like not a fucking word. Uh, <laughs> a lot of fun stuff with them. What about you? <laughs> um, I think I'd probably go Carrie Fisher. Yeah, uh, she's. Yeah, as like my number one, and then oh man, number two, um, may- maybe I would go. Um, <laughs> I go the Nazis just because of the absurdity, but because I, I, <laughs> I forgot what they uh, call themselves. Like the their acronym, I think, like stands for something funny, but. Um, I, I just love that. I think that was based off something that actually happened. I think there was like a in the 1970, maybe or 75. There was a 
like a protest from like an Illinois American Nazi mm. group. And so that was kind of like uh, making fun of that. Cause like you said, like why not kill or make fun of the Nazis? I mean, it's the Nazis. <laughs> it's, it's always funny. Every time something happens yeah. to the Nazi, that, I feel like the Nazis are like, they're the, the a classic movie device of like, yeah. Oh, you want just to, unambiguously hate a group of people make them nazis you put a swastika on them we can <laughs> throw them off bridges drop them in cars whatever the audience will always laugh <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> like that's the worst like we can all agree yeah you're the bad guy <laughs> <laughs> oh man when they're visiting maury in the in the sauna um oh yeah and they go let's go boys there's no establishing shot they're just talking to maury but then it cuts to this wide shot and you see that the entire blues brothers band is in there with them yeah uh, it's just so it's so good i was like wait yeah. what the hell i rewound them like they wait they were there the whole time also the way that uh, belushi and Aykroyd both have their i think their hats and sunglasses in the sauna I'm that yeah. That's why I wanted to mention too. Yeah, they, they still keep them on even in the sun. It, does, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Um. Or when they're visiting, I forgot who it is. Um. But I think they lived in that place. Of uh, the woman when they're trying to find the first band members. Oh, Miss um, Tarantino. That's yes. her name. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, and he's like, "Are you p- the police? No, ma'am. We're musicians." yeah it's it's oh man yeah yeah this is i and it's really interesting you you mentioned that we were going to do this movie and i just i started thinking about it and it's been a little while since i saw it but it just all started coming back into my head like it's it's there i'm like cam jansen like i just can close yeah. my eyes and i can watch the entire <laughs> movie it's all in my brain constantly <laughs> um, it's just like one of the most insane movies i've seen and i think it's just it's such a joy too like i mean there's no movie i've seen like it like we said but it's just so fun you know mm-hmm. like you could show this to kids i think i think yeah yeah oh certainly i mean there's like a couple f-bombs here and there uh yeah. but for the most part it's such a fun movie it, it, this is the, the, i would have told you this was like the most fun movie i had ever seen when i was 12 because it's like everything you want it's got great music it's got huge action set pieces it's funny it's simple in its themes and its morality it's noble it's about doing the right thing you know it's it's not mean-spirited or cynical or anything um but uh and then yeah but also just like it leaves you on like with such a great feeling i think it's one of the great feel-good movies so ending on that jailhouse rock uh scene where not only forgot yeah fantastic scene and you get it's it feels like a curtain call and a play you know we're we both do theater we both know that great moment of like getting to see everybody come back out again and say all right it's over we all had a great time uh you know like we're all friends here (laughs) and then when it ends (laughs) on the crew it's just such it's so sweet it's like the one of the most endearing things i think we're on a mission from god yeah (laughs) great impression (laughs) Ah, <laughs> uh, yay! Ah, <laughs> uh, uh, did you have any uh, final thoughts on the Blues Brothers? Wrap it up, man. Uh just the, I think the Blues Brothers is a fantastic film. It's a, a real lightning in a bottle moment. I think if you look at the careers of everybody involved, 
Um, if you look at all the other SNL based films, uh, this is just, it happened at the right time with the right people, the right place. Um, it's, uh, a love letter to rhythm and blues. Um, it's a, just a staple of American comedies and of action filmmaking. I think the best film directed by John Landis, who, if you're a comedy fan or a horror fan, uh, is kind of big in both of those communities. And I think it's his, it's his best job as a filmmaker. And, um, uh, yeah, John Belushi gone way too soon. I, I, I think often about the great stuff that we would have gotten from him, but you know, from his few movies and his couple years on SNL, there's a lot there in that short amount of time to cherish. Yeah. I have great points. Um, yeah, I agree with everything you said. Uh, yeah. I think the blues brothers, um, has aged great, um, from the action, uh, from the music, uh, to just the, the premise. It, this movie should not work. And I don't know how it does, but it 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 works so well. And I think in a like if anyone else was involved in this movie, it wouldn't have worked. And it's so funny. I think it's one of those movies that if, if someone didn't like it, I guess I could actually maybe understand that you didn't like it. But I don't understand if you could hate this movie. That I would be a little yeah. confused by. I mean, it's it's just so uh, nice. I, I don't really, I don't understand how you could hate this. That they're not doing anything too crazy. Um, but yeah, I, I recommend if you some if you for some reason listen this far and you haven't seen it, go watch it, uh, rent it, go buy it. Um, Forty one years later, it's funny as it probably was then. Um, and yeah, that those are our thoughts on the Blues Brothers. Uh, normally, this is where I would do the tease for next week, which I don't know what it is yet. But uh, if it's super bad, it's on Netflix, so watch Super Bad um, instead. Which I realized I didn't do at the beginning of this month or the end of last month. Uh, an update on which genres we have left for the rest, at least for this first year in the show. Um, we have, um, even though it's not technically a genre, but yeah. Uh, animation, we got that month coming up at some point. Uh, still have comic book movies or superhero movies. We'll, we'll figure out probably be more superhero movies. Um, uh, we still have mystery slash thriller and we also have war films. So, uh, stay tuned for that in the coming months. Uh, we start something a little bit new but also similar in october um again so that's gonna be interesting um but yeah uh i guess then i guess we could just plug uh johnny where can people follow you uh you can follow me on instagram and twitter at john ortagon uh sorry i was (laughs) uh reading the script uh i was really getting into character i forgot who i I was for a moment uh you can follow me on instagram and twitter at johnny mockney j-o-h-n-n-y-m-o-c-n-y also letterbox Uh, i don't know if you plug your letterbox here but i'm on letterbox under the same name i i have a podcast called we are movies um and you can find that wherever you like podcasts and I, I just appreciate you having me on to do this, uh, uh, sitting in John's seat for a little bit. I hope he gets well soon, and I um, I look forward to hearing him here. If, if he's at home, John, I hope 
I, I if you made it to the end of this, uh, listening to to somebody else sitting in your seat, uh, <laughs> I um, uh, no, uh, no hard feelings. Uh, <laughs> I'm kidding. Uh, but no, I had a I had a pleasure. I had a, I had a great time. Yeah, I appreciate you coming on. Uh, this is great. Maybe I'll see you next week. I don't know. We'll Maybe. see. Um, For John's sake, hopefully not. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and oh yeah, you can follow me also on Letterboxd at Indigo forty five. Follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Indigo McLeod. You can follow the show at Can't Genre Pod on Instagram and Twitter, and also like our Facebook page. You can't handle the genre, the full title. Uh, tell your friends, tell your enemies, share this with everybody. Johnny's mom, if you're listening to this, uh, tell your friends, tell your enemies. Uh, I don't know if you travel to Canada, but tell the Canadians, tell them all. <laughs> and uh, with that, I guess we will see you next week. And have a good one. And it's gonna be down the swing. You should have heard this knock down jailbird swing. Let's rock. Everybody, let's rock. Everybody on the whole cell block. Who's dancing to the jailhouse rock? Spider Murphy played the tenor saxophone. Little Joe was blowing on the slide trombone. The drummer boy from Illinois crashed boom bang. The whole rhythm section was perfect.